I'd like to encourage the rest of us to open our Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to continue in the passage that we started last week, which would be chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. As you're turning there, I wanted to share a praise with you regarding my daughter Emma. As I've said before, you have been so faithful in praying for her and encouraging us. We have gone an entire year now without being admitted to the hospital. And that is just uh, amazing. We figured out that in the past four years, Emma had averaged being in the hospital every other month for a minimum of 10 days each time. And the fact that she's gone a year now has just been incredible. So we praise God for the great things that he is doing. As we've worked our way through 1 Thessalonians, we now are coming to the conclusion of chapter 5 and the end of the book. We've slowed down a bit because Paul gives command after command as he concludes this letter. So we're slowing down a little bit just to take in the instructions that God is giving us through his servant Paul. This morning we want to take a look, as I said, at verses 19 through 21. But this morning focusing on verse 21, the issue of discernment. So follow with me in your copy of God's word as I read chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Pray with me if you will. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you will keep until the day of eternity that which we have entrusted to you. Thank you, Lord for the truth of the gospel. As the ensemble sang, my mind went to Romans chapter 1, that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And for that we praise you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. And this morning as we consider, meditate, think on your word, guide us. Help us in applying your word that we will glorify your name by what we say and what we do. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In the year 2004, Morgan uh, Spurlock made a documentary called Supersize Me. Now, the premise of his documentary was very simple. He wanted to test what effect eating McDonald's every day three times a day for 30 days, would have on a person. Now, in many ways, I'm hearing that, and I'm thinking, do you really need to test that? But he did. For 30 straight days, he only ate McDonald's. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and any snacks in between. He said everything on the menu he ate at least one time, if not several times during that month. And you can imagine the effects upon him physically. He gained 24 pounds. His body mass increased 13%. His level of cholesterol increased exponentially. What surprised him, however, was not only the physical changes, which he anticipated, but the psychological effects. He found himself having mood swings due to this diet, which after he stopped, those mood swings also stopped and after 14 months he was able to lose the weight that he had put on in those 30 days 
Now, I mention this because in many ways it's obvious. If you eat unhealthy food, you will see the consequences of that. I am a walking example also. But I wanted us to think about this spiritually. I want us to recognize the importance of a healthy spiritual diet. The Lord wants us to feast on Jesus. The imagery that is used in the New Testament points to this truth. Jesus is what? The bread of life. He is the life-giving water. He is indeed sweeter than honey. A healthy spiritual diet has Jesus morning, noon, and night. But our enemy wants to prevent that. The evil one wants to stop us from eating, feasting upon Christ. He wants you and I to eat spiritual junk food. He wants us to engorge ourselves on that which is unhealthy and untrue. And because Satan is the father of lies and he is a deceiver, one of the ways he does this is by counterfeiting the good things of God. Remember, he's a liar. And for his lies to be effective, he will take the good things of God and mimic them so he can use them for destruction. He's a counterfeiter. And as I said, for a counterfeiting operation to be successful, it has to counterfeit what's real. Case in point is something that occurred in Maryville in April of this year. Two ladies were arrested at a Dollar General store for passing a counterfeit bill. No, they didn't try to pass a $20 bill or a $100 bill. When they got to the, the checkout point and they unloaded their cart, the charges were like 90 bucks. they handed the cashier a crisp, clean, new $1 million bill. I thought of that poor cashier. I'm, I need $900,000 in change at cashier one. Of course, they were arrested because there's no such thing. For a counterfeit to work, it has to mimic that which is truth. That's what Satan does. Especially when it comes to the spiritual gifts. That's what Paul is dealing with here, specifically the gift of prophecy. As Paul said in verse 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. Now, my definition of prophecy is this. Prophecy is spirit-prompted communication that applies Scripture for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. That's based on 1 Corinthians 14.3. Now, I say it applies Scripture because the canon is closed. In other words, Genesis to Revelation is God's Word. It's the faith once delivered for the saints. So if anyone stands up and says, I have a new revelation from God already, your warning sign should be going off thinking there is no new revelation from God. We have it. But the gift of prophecy operates as the Spirit gives people insight in how to encourage others, build each other up, and give consolation through the Scripture. Now it can be spontaneous at times. It can be in that moment where the Spirit prompts a person with this gift to say, you know what, I saw you and the Lord laid this verse upon my heart. I think that's an operation of the gift of prophecy. Remember, as we pointed out last week, if a person claims to tell the future prophetically, remember, the book of Deuteronomy gives a very clear warning that if that person claims to speak the future in the name of God and it does not happen, they are not of God. To me, the primary application of prophecy is the application of Scripture. Now, Satan will use this at times because it can be difficult to challenge something that is said in the name of the Spirit. God told me to say this. 
And so that can be often be used by those who wish to manipulate others by faking this spiritual gift. Now when it comes to spiritual gifts, especially the gifts referred to as the sign gifts, Sign gifts would be what are mentioned in Corinthians, such as the gift of healing, the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, prophecy. Now, to me, these gifts operate primarily where there is no translation of God's Word. They serve to validate the preaching of the Word when the Scripture does not exist in that particular dialect or tongue. When the Scripture is there, the Scripture validates itself. So in my understanding, these gifts have not ceased. They are just limited in their use. Why? Because we have the Scripture to guide us into truth. Now, when it comes to these gifts, churches tend to go to two extremes. One extreme is this. They become consumed with these gifts. It's all they talk about. It becomes the mark of true spirituality. Do you have this gift operating in this way? And so the focus becomes on having that gift creating two different classes of Christians. You have the super first-class Christians who operate in that gift and then the secondary Christians who have not yet received that blessing. I don't think the Scripture teaches that at all. In fact, 1 Corinthians is written to the church at Corinth that was enamored and consumed with these gifts to a point where the church was being divided into factions. That's why Paul devotes chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14 to dealing with the proper use of spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. Now, some churches don't want to become consumed with spiritual gifts, so they go to the other extreme. They deny the spiritual gifts. That's where the church at Thessalonia was at. Because of abuses, and it's believed to be abuses regarding the return of Jesus based on what's written in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, where people were standing up and claiming to give a prophetic word that Jesus had returned, and Paul says he has not returned yet, they had become leery of anyone claiming to have a, a word from the Lord. So look at what Paul counsels the church. He offers a middle ground. Don't despise prophecies. Don't despise how the Lord may be working. But verse 21, test everything hold fast to what is good the word test there means be discerning to employ judgment in a positive way to discern what is truth and what is error what is factual and what is a lie now this isn't the only place in the new testament where believers are called to be discerning in fact in the book of first john 4 verse 1 it says beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits be discerning to see whether they are from God. Why? For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, we will hear a lot of voices, many of those voices claiming to speak in the name of the Lord. And he is saying, test them. Be discerning. Because if you listen to the wrong voice, it can lead you astray from the gospel. A man by the name of Bill Offer works at Boulder Point Golf Club. He's the outside services supervisor. Got a call one day saying that a driver was lost on the golf course. Well, that happens. Sometimes a driver may fall out of a bag or something, so he expected to get out where they said the drive near where the driver was lost and find this golf club laying there. Much to his shock, what he found was not a golf club, but a truck stuck in a tunnel designed for golf carts. The driver was standing there looking, thinking, How am I going to get this out of here? And of course he said, What happened? He said, well, I was, had my GPS on, and it got me on the golf course, and it said I needed to turn left here, so that's what I did, and here I am. The voices we listen to 
need to be heard with a sense of discernment. Because if we accept everything, the result will be chaos. If we reject everything, we may miss something that God has for us. Now, there is a spiritual gift of discernment. The Spirit has given people, some people, the ability to be discerning. It comes very naturally to them. 1 Corinthians 12.10 To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of spirits. Look in the middle. The ability to distinguish between spirits. That's discernment. Now, in many ways, the gift of discernment is like the gift of evangelism. There are those that have it, but every believer is called to evangelize. Just in the same way, while there are those that are gifted with discernment, every believer is called to be discerning. For example, in the book of Philippians 1, 9 through 10, Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and what? All discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Let your love abound. How does your love abound? With knowledge and discernment. Being able to test, being able to examine, being able to understand. The book of Hebrews also speaks of this. But solid foods for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Part of Christian maturity is discernment. Being able to understand. Now, the interesting thing is that in our text this morning, Paul doesn't give the criteria for discernment. What do we use to judge? How do we do this? Well, although it's not listed here, we can see other clips, other snippets from the New Testament that give us insight. One is this. For the person who stands and preaches or claims to prophesy, look at the life. Does the life demonstrate the character of Christ? This test or this criteria for discernment is found in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says this, beware of false prophets. Remember, Satan seeks to counterfeit that which is real. So Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by their lifestyle, their character. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. It's a warning to say that character matters. Rather than just believing something carte blanche, he is saying, look at the person's life. It's interesting, the early church applied this. There's a, a book that has been found, it's called the Didache. Now, it's not scripture, I want to be clear about that. But what it was, was a training manual used for discipleship in the early church. In many ways, it's a treasure trove to understand what the early church was like. And regarding this issue of discernment, it says, but not everyone who speaks in a spirit is a prophet, except he have the behavior of the Lord. Christ-like character. Which leads to the second point of criteria is this, is the message focused on Jesus. We need to understand that when the spirit works, the spirit will be like a spotlight shining upon Jesus. 
The message of Jesus will not be diminished where the Spirit of God is at work. In fact, Paul warned of this. He said, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If someone claims to be speaking in the Spirit and they downplay the gospel of Jesus Christ or speak against the divinity of Jesus, it is not of God. Theologian J.I. Packer put it like this, God has spoken in His Son, Jesus. The light of the knowledge of His glory is given us in the face of the Lord Jesus. When Christ is exalted, when His name is honored, then we know we are seeking the true God When we hear a person speaking, whether it be in preaching or whether it be someone claiming to have a word from the Lord, we need to ask, is Jesus crucified and resurrected central to that message? Many of those who claim to speak in the name of the Lord are simply using Jesus as a means to an end. Be aware of this. Such theology permeates our culture that values the things of this world more than the things of God. And they will work to manipulate people saying, you believe in Jesus, you claim Jesus, and he will give you the things of this world. We need to balance that with the truth of what Jesus said, that the call to follow him is a call to take up the cross and die to self. And the messages that we hear, are we being called to emulate Jesus? Are we being called to be like Jesus in our character? A true message from the Lord will keep Jesus at the centerpiece of that message. Now keep in mind the spiritual gifts are to be used to lift high the name of Jesus and to build up the church. So how does this fit into the framework of worship? I mean, that's what Paul was dealing with in 1 Thessalonians and to the church at Corinth. How does all this fit in to corporate worship? God has not left us alone to figure this out. What do we do with these gifts? And like I said, the scripture is our God. So what do we see is this. First and foremost, all things are to be done decently in order. When guidance is given to the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts, Paul reminds them that God is not a God of disorder. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And combine this with a second point about spiritual gifts in worship, God does not bring confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, as I said, this section is dealing with the use of these gifts. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. In other words, be discerning. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Now look closely at verses 32 and 33. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. In other words, in our context of worship, God is not going to bring something in that's going to create confusion and disruption. And if a person says, well, I have to speak it, I have to speak it. Remember, what does it say in verse 32? The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That's why the spirit of God works spontaneously at times, but also works in preparation. Not to bring confusion and disorder to any congregation that that has joined in worship. That's why Paul emphasizes this as the third thing. All things are to be done in love. 1 Corinthians 13 is not speaking about love between a husband and wife. It's speaking about love within a congregation. In the midst of spiritual gifts that Satan was using to divide the church, Paul says, 
love. Love one another. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's why character is more important than the exercise of these spiritual gifts that I'm speaking of today. The sign gifts such as tongues and prophecies are temporary. 1 Corinthians 13 makes that clear. But love is forever. And while we should desire the spiritual gifts, we should desire love first and foremost because love is eternal. Which leads us to a warning. When we speak about discernment and thinking through things, there's a real danger. You see, every spiritual gift can operate in the flesh. The gift of administration, and that's a spiritual gift. It can be used to become obsessive about things and even controlling. The gift of teaching can foster pride. Discernment operating in a sinful way leads to judgmentalism and a critical spirit. It's where instead of saying, Lord, do you have a word for me? It's looking, looking intently for mistakes. Now to safeguard against this, we must know what is primary and what is secondary. Secondary things, secondary doctrines are doctrines that we may believe altogether but disagree on. In those cases, we give one another love. We recognize we don't divide over fellowship over those different interpretations. But the primary ones, doctrines such as the divinity of Christ, the truthfulness of Scripture, the physical resurrection of Jesus, those are core primary doctrines that we do not compromise upon. And anyone who speaks against those truths is not speaking of God. I was taught this. When I was in the eighth grade, my father loaded me and my brother, my mom, an aunt, and two cousins into a van and took us on a trip out west for two weeks. It was literally like the Griswold family. One of the stops we made was in Salt Lake City. Wanted to see the Mormon Tabernacle. Just to see this. My dad was an engineer and an architect. Wanted to see this beautiful piece of, uh, of, of, of building and such. And as we were there, you had to take the tour. We went in to where they set us down and they began talking. And as they began talking, they began speaking about Mormon theology. Now, my father, my father was a very wise man, but could also speak. Well, he had a little redneck in him. All of a sudden, this guy's talking. And my dad stands up and says, Imogene, get the kids. We're getting out of here. We ain't listening to this. And we left. I mean, we left Salt Lake City. It was that moment. This is clearly not of God. Because they're downplaying the divinity of Jesus. We need to listen with discernment. It's important. I hope the Lord will continue to work in our lives to develop this. But to develop it so the name of Jesus is lifted up. Because it's Jesus who is the way the truth, and the life. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me at this time. I'm going to be here at the front. If anyone wants to know more about following Christ or just for prayer, I'll be glad to pray with you, meet with you. If you want to know more about following Christ, I'll ask you just to have a seat at the front. And when the service is over, we'll sit down and talk about what it means to become a Christian. 
I also want you to know that as we sing, the kneeling benches here in the front are open. If you want to come and just pray, I hope you know you have the freedom to do that. We want to be open to the Spirit because we want to know Jesus. Father, I thank you that you have not left us as orphans, but you have given us the Holy Spirit. And Father, we don't claim to understand the workings of the Spirit. We know we cannot control the Spirit, for the Spirit is like the wind blowing according to your will. And Father, we want to be open to what you are doing. So Father, work within us. Help us to receive what you have for us. Draw us into your word. Draw us into Christ. That he may be honored and glorified in our lives as we grow in maturity. Grant these things we pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.